HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn more about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you sad in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Gentlemen. Hey. Hey, guys. Hanging in there? <laughs> here, yeah, here we are again in our virtual studio, where, which means none of us are in the same room. Uh, it's becoming more um, comfortable, I think. Gents, how do you feel? I'm definitely not wearing pants again. Um, <laughs> if that's what you mean by that. Uh, I've, been, I've been wearing pants since we did the finish episode. This guy's, <laughs> this guy's really opened my eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, well, I just mean I feel like we're getting more accustomed to how to, uh, to talk without being able to see one another. I think it's uh, it changes the dynamic considerably, but I feel like we're getting better and better at it. Sure, yeah. There's definitely like a, a kind of a cue system that we have when we're able to see each other, um, and uh, we've we've definitely stumbled sometimes uh, on this show <laughs> doing the virtual thing. But I think we're getting better at it. Um. How's uh, how's life on the West Coast, Damon? What, what's going on with you? It's good. Um, actually, I've just been diving into a lot of projects, working on some Grand Army stuff. Um, we're in week three of uh, takeout. There's been some, you know, kind of crazy stuff going on since we're in downtown Brooklyn. You know, there's a lot of protests and things happening, lots of action. Um, and it's not surprising that um, that business has slowed. And mostly because there's very important things to focus on. And, you know, a lot of you know, some of the reason why the business is slowed is because our staff wants to get out there and do stuff. You know, they want to get out there and participate. And I think that's a great thing. And, I, you know, I think that the last thing that I really want to do in times like this is, you know, go drink a whole lot. <laughs> I don't want to, like, suppress my feelings and, and, and specifically my sadness. Um, with, you know, alcohol. And um, so we had already kind of like been thinking about that too with uh, the way that we were offering our takeout cocktails. A lot of the stuff's like low ABV. Um, you know, it's not not trying to get drunk. We're just trying to like have some sort of like normal vibes to, to life right now. So yeah, there's that. I've been uh, doing a lot of like 
kind of like home projects. Um, just keeping keep myself busy. How about you guys? Uh, well, I want to ask him, uh, has Grand Army had to like, uh, you know, do any preventative measures to, you know, have you had to put any boards up or, uh, or has any of that stuff getting close to you? I know the, the protests are largely peaceful. My, my take on it is that there are three sort of phases that go on whenever this kind of stuff is happening here in America or anywhere in the world. It's the peaceful protesters come out. Uh, when they are cleared away or by the darkness or what have you, then there's the vandals who come out and just literally smash windows and keep walking. And then there are the opportunists, the looters that come along after that. So I feel like it's the three stages. Have you had to, you know, take into account any of that? Have you done any, you know, like I said, boarding up or anything? We haven't. Um, You know, the thing is, we're, we're on State Street right between, like, we're at the very last street of, like, beautiful, like, tree-lined, brownstone, Brooklyn vibes before you get into downtown industrial Brooklyn, you know, where it starts looking like a downtown of a city. And I think partially, you know, we've we've got, like, all the booze and everything's, like, locked away. Um, some of it's even off-site, you know? Um, so there's nothing on the back bar to really entice anyone to come break in and steal booze. There's... You know, we're not doing any cash right now. Everything's going through Square. Um, I don't, you know, obviously not everyone's going to, not all vandals and, and and whatnot are going to, like, take that into consideration that, like, you know, we're kind of living in a cashless society, mostly, you know, a lot of the people I've talked to anyway. And, you know, if, if someone's going to break in, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I think part of the reason why we haven't boarded up the windows is because... It, we just don't want our neighbors in the neighborhood to feel that kind of threat. You know, like we don't want to like that sort of unwelcomeness. I, yeah, I yeah. totally understand. I'm the, I'm the same way. We have been uh, oscillating on the fence of whether or not to do that stuff at a more. I'm less worried about thievery, frankly, than just simple vandalism. Yeah. Uh, it's been happening. You know, it's much closer to me. Uh, I'm on Sixth Street and Avenue A in the East Village, and we've seen plenty of vandalism as close as St. Mark's, which is 8th Street, so two blocks away. Uh, and on one night this past Sunday, uh, 14 businesses along Avenue A just had their windows smashed. Very little robbery actually went on, but just lots of vandalism. And it's it's very disheartening, but I understand your your message of not wanting to seem sort of like, to, to board things up shows that you're, you're it's an unwelcoming place, right? So, right. Uh, you know, uh, we've we've just inserted uh, plywood in between our grate and the window, so when the gates are down, you just can't see in. But we pull; we, they're they're not attached, so we can, as we raise mm, the gates, we yeah. can just move those pieces of wood. But at least protects us from maybe getting the windows smashed. Um, yeah, it's a tumultuous time, um, but I feel uh, in some ways that this is a pretty small price to pay um, for for the message that's trying to be heard. You know, this is just people trying to get, get their message out there and get heard, and it's a message that's been uh, roiling, uh, not not just beneath the surface, but at the surface for literally decades uh, and gone um, un, unattended, and it's just boiling over. I, I, I think it's, uh, frankly, it seems a perfectly natural reaction to me. I mean, who among us hasn't gotten frustrated enough at any given thing to to maybe smash a glass or, you know, or kick over a garbage can in your own home or office. Uh, I can't imagine feeling um, so frustrated that I had to take to the streets and, and make my message heard in such a way. Uh, so I feel it's a small price to pay, but I'm doing my due diligence and at least being cautious. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of, um, 
a lot of uh, talk going around about like you know pay, paying attention to this moment and looking at it and and seeing it for for what it is and you know for people you know that are in positions of power looking at how you got there and learning and unlearning what you know you've been taught for your entire life and how you've perceived your way to look move through the world to be and this is honestly something that I was kind of I've been struggling with this all morning before we got to the show of like you know I feel like we have a responsibility to say something in this moment um but what should we as three white dudes who run a podcast about drinking say and I was kind of thinking about um, this notion of like unlearning and relearning and how I learned about diversity when I was in school Um, because I grew up outside the D.C. area. I went to school in Virginia. It was not as purple then as it is today. It was a very red state. And I know that you, Southern and Damon, grew up in the South, too. And to me, I remember the way that I learned about diversity from the time that I was like nine was like, well... It was like broccoli. It's like, here's this thing. You got to do it. And that's awful. That's an awful way to talk about it um, because it's it's counterproductive. And it wasn't until I started working in bars and really running bars that I realized, oh, you do stupid shit when you surround yourself with copies of you. <laughs> like, if you're just surrounded by hey, people hey, who hey. look like you. I'm an identical like twin. You, <laughs> yeah come on yeah <laughs> uh, but, no uh, i get what you're saying yeah yeah yeah. and it's just like you know if you don't have other voices in the room and other perspectives you know you're not gonna you're not gonna uh think they're not gonna those voices aren't gonna be heard you're not gonna think about it and you're not gonna act in the best interest of you know your staff your business or yourself or your life you know to to be fair we're all very capable of doing stupid shit no matter what on this show. Indeed. Um, But uh, yeah, I, that was just something that I kind of wanted to share that it's, it's a process of looking at how you've been taught to move through the world. And, you know, really, I think doing the work of, of questioning that and seeing where it's gotten you and how you can move forward and do better in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the the burden that we're all intent on bearing right now, which is I want to, I want to, you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, digging deeper, soul searching, looking introspectively at my own self and maybe the way that I've considered these uh, um, topics in the past and how I can reconsider them or consider them better moving forward. Um, You know, I don't know that I've done enough uh, in in my past and I'm, I'm making a, a consorted effort moving forward to do to do more and to do better uh, and how we do that of course is simply um, paying attention uh, listening uh, first and then learning and then and then speaking once we've got some knowledge in us you know uh, there's a great old adage you know you've got two ears and one mouth you should listen twice as much as you speak mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly um, well anyway Greg, seems like a good time for us to bring our guest into the virtual studio. Uh, why don't you introduce who's hanging out with us today? Sure. So in the studio today, we've got uh, Kenneth McCoy, a lifelong New Yorker and almost lifelong New York bartender, uh, <laughs> currently of the Rum House and Ward 3. Welcome, man. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Uh, uh, yeah. I you. wish I could I could see you all face to face, but... Um, 
here we are. This yeah, you're, well, you're, not, you're not missing much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us are looking at our Soon enough, right we'll, get, yeah. we'll, we'll get around to it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that, yes. I'm, I've been wearing a baseball cap for a while. Um, <laughs> I need a haircut. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, super exciting. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, so, I mean, you've yeah. been through, the, obviously you're going through all the things that are going on right now, but man, you've, you've seen, you've seen other dark times as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, before this, the 2008, um, for that nine 11, why don't you, uh, yep. I, I know that in, there's, in, in there somewhere in there, yeah, in there somewhere, Sandy, like, yeah. Oh yeah. Sandy. I remember, I even remember the blackout in 77. Uh, yeah. you know, granted I was, I was, I was quite young, but I do, I do recall that. And I remember my dad actually was, um, had his bar, one of his bars in the city and he had to walk home that night. I think, uh, he walked over the 59th street bridge all the way from midtown. So Uh, yeah, I remember that. But, um, I remember the first time that they, uh, the world trade center was, was bombed the the very first time, which was, the. I think when they drove some vans. Yeah, the, the, the basement bombing, yep. Yes. And then, obviously, um, 9-11, which was, I was working down on, I was working in Tribeca uh, at a bar called Le Zinc that's no longer there on uh, Duane Street, around the corner from where Ward 3 is now, on Reed Street, which is really bizarre. And um, that was such a strange time obviously i wasn't at work that that morning but when that happened it was uh, especially I, for new york but for downtown um it it was a, a huge uh had a huge effect on on the on on that downtown area tribeca uh, because it just seemed like it really took a long time for it to come back yeah, that's what I was about to say. I feel like these it, these things have reverberations for literally decades. It was, it you know, it was such a strange thing because prior to it, you you could really, if you worked down there, you could really feel it, the the effect of it afterwards because it just didn't. No one was. I mean, you couldn't go down there for a while to begin with. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people moved out. A lot of people moved upstate. A lot of people moved away. A lot of people couldn't get back into where they were living. So the the sort of feel of the neighborhood that was there before really wasn't there for for quite a long time. And you know, you weren't getting people didn't really want to go down there. You know, I think people didn't want to go down because they were reminded of this, you know, this devastation that had happened to the city. And right, right. To revisit a space of trauma is to traumatize yourself again, right? Yeah. And, you know, sure, you got, yeah, there was a lot of tourists coming down because they're, they want to, you know, people did want to go down and see the site and that's understandable. But um, it was, it, it was a very, very strange time in that neighborhood. And it was, uh, it was a long haul. I'll tell you, it, it really seemed like it didn't really come back until I I feel in that neighborhood until around maybe 2007, 
it started to feel like it was sort of coming back around down there. And then all of a sudden you've got 2008 happening with the financial crisis, you know, uh, which I will say this, that's how we actually opened up Ward 3 because we had an opportunity to get into a space because no one was really down there anymore, you right. know? I mean, sure, you had the Odeon, but the Odeon was a place that had been there, you know, since since the early, since, what, 81 or something? It's been there, what, like 40 years or something at this, at this point? Right. So you had that, and that was open till 4 o'clock in the morning, but you have to realize... The Odeon now is open till like eleven thirty, you know. Yeah, like, it's not the same. The Odeon wasn't the Odeon of its heyday, where you know people were partying there until three thirty in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. You know that had it had become more of a sort of extension for all those people that were doing that as more of like a, a an actual restaurant, and you know more of like I think like a fashion scene and. Uh, you know, private parties and whatnot, but they weren't, they weren't open till four o'clock in the morning. There wasn't a lot of bars open up down there till four o'clock in the morning. I mean, you had grace, which opened up in, I think 98 or something like that. And that went all the way until 2000, that closed 2008, right around the financial crisis. Right. Um, you know, and sure you had these few other, like you'd have, I mean, puffies was there forever, but after, you know, sort of 2008, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't any cocktail bars down there. There wasn't anywhere. I mean, sure, you could go into the Odeon and get, you know, get a cocktail, sure. But like, that was it, you know, but the Odeon, like I said, was open till, you know, 12 o'clock at night, you know, maybe one o'clock back then, maybe at that time. So we sort of took that opportunity of, of, of the financial crisis to say, hey, we got to open up a place down here that's open till four o'clock in the morning that serves food until four o'clock in the morning and that you can actually get a cocktail in, in something other than the Odeon, you know? Right, right. You saw an opportunity in, in, in like you said, in a crisis, right? Uh, I think that's, that's, uh, you know, that's smart business, you know, uh, when, when things are going great, people are succeeding. Also when things are going poorly, there are people who are succeeding because they're seeing, they're seeing opportunity in, in the uh, in the in the problems, right? People like people like you, people creatives like us. I don't think we look at these things as as problems. We look at them as as potential solutions. I, I totally agree, and I think that you know we we sort of looked at it like, uh, you know, there isn't something down here like this. There's nothing open till four o'clock that's serving food, serving cocktails. Other than sure, you've, you've got an Irish bar where you can probably go in and get, you know, a bag of potato chips or something and a, and a, and a beer. Nothing wrong with that. There's, you know, love those places. But there wasn't anything open that had a little bit more than that. And that's what we were trying to do. And, you know, there there was plenty of spaces that they were, you know, the rents were reasonable and you could you could still get a four o'clock in the morning license back then, which was a whole other thing. Yeah. You know? Where now, as we know, these things are harder to get unless it's grandfathered in, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, listen, it wasn't, you know, it didn't, it, it, it wasn't like, oh, wow. Like, you know, we, we, we struck gold right away. We knew that it was going to be like a process, but, um, you know, it definitely, I definitely worked out for us. It was a gamble and it worked out. Uh, I don't personally think, I mean, I know I couldn't open up a bar like that again because we opened up that place with, 
hardly any money and we got a great deal. And I don't, you know, those things are few and far between, you know, they just really are. I, I don't know if, I mean, hopefully with maybe what has happened, you know, New York real estate will, something will happen where we'll, we'll, you know, it'll go down again. Maybe it'll be another 2008 where people, you know, they're going to have to work out deals with people because the rents are just getting ridiculous. As you guys know, I mean, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. I, I foresee that this, uh, this, this economic change due to COVID, which is, you know, crashing the whole system, really, this is going to create uh, lots of vacancies. It's going to create lots of people exit exodus out of the city because, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, real estate is going to be so expensive that people are going to see that maybe they can work from home and maybe that home doesn't have to be in New York City where the rent's so high. Offices are going to uh, become more available because, again, companies are going to realize their teams have been working from home for three months now. Why can't they just do it always? Mm -hmm. That's going to change the flow of business for the, you know, support uh, businesses like cafes, restaurants, bars, uh, which going to, again, create vacancies. I think we're going to see a tremendous downturn in um, you know, prices of both commercial and uh, residential real estate in New York City. And I think that, you know, certainly that's going to mean that a lot of places are going to suffer and, and fail and, and have to, you know, disappear from the landscape. But that also means that the landscape is going to repopulate itself with, again, people who are creative enough and resourceful enough to, to get in there and make those changes. I think that's an interesting point. I mean, uh, I've got a bunch of friends and family who work for Apple and, you know, they are not, they're all working from home and, you know, probably till the end of the year. So that's going to be essentially an entire year of working from home for arguably the biggest company in the world, right? It was already hard enough for the people who work for, for Apple going there to Cupertino and like kind of like San Jose area um, to find places to go to lunch or even like happy hour after work because one part, you know, obviously the rent's very high there. And two... You know, you can't get anyone who works in the service industry to be able to afford to live close enough to work in the bars and restaurants that, that do exist there. And so right. now without if they if they're not going to be working at the Cupertino location, there's like I don't know what's gonna happen to that whole area. You know, it's kinda crazy to think about. Well, well yeah, the the sort of data that I have, similarly it's uh, contextual to my life. My editor's office uh, down on Wall Street houses uh, 30 employees. Uh, they furloughed half, so now they're down to 15. Those 15 are all working from home and not even here in the city. My editor, um, who is the editor-in-chief at Topics, he, um, he and his wife moved to their family's home in Kentucky uh, to ride this thing out. Um, and so they're realizing we don't need the office at all. So they're planning to never go back. They're planning to end their lease. And then that's an empty space. If that's happening to this company, surely that's happening to many more. Mm -hmm. And if you extrapolate that to an area of New York city, like midtown where it's mostly offices and then the ground floors are all cafes and the bodegas with the big hot bars and salad bars, they're going to suffer. They're going to fold. Those spaces are going to be open. It's going to change the, the landscape pretty, yeah. pretty dramatically. Probably just uh, extend central park further South now. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like the bounce back that New York has always will will refill those places. Mm -hmm. But we're going to see a time when it's a little bit desolate, you know, when it's a little bit empty and hollow and lots of uh, you know storefronts that are, you know, with for lease signs in the windows. And how long will the landlords hold out uh, at the rents that they want uh, and, and change to the rents that, that are, are reasonable for people to pay? 
Uh, how will they deal with that with their financiers who also never saw this coming? You know, like this is this is going to change a ton. Um, but I feel like we're getting a little off topic. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're no, I think, I think it's all estate, on topic. We're the real estate show. <laughs> that's a whole other. That's a whole other episode. New York, yeah, real estate. <laughs> New York's real estate. We'll get some yeah. real estate guys on and drink some scotch and talk about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's let's not say we did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, agreed. Um, well, it seems like a good point for us to have a chuckle and take a quick break and hear from our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. Stay with us, people. We're going to come back and keep talking with Kenneth McCoy about uh, the strifes and struggles of uh, operating bars through multiple uh, catastrophes uh, over time and what's, what's, what's it look like in the future. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency Tart Cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. In our virtual studio today, we have Kenneth McCoy of Ward 3 and the Rum House. And we were just talking about some of the past uh, downtimes and what we're to be expecting, you know, uh, going through this one. It's pretty dismal right now, but, I, you know, I feel like with Kenneth going through a lot of these situations that you've gone through, there's kind of a, you know, it seems like when we look back on it, there's always been some sort of bounce back, whether it takes, you know, like you said, with uh, with 9-11, it wasn't until 2007 that you saw real changes where it started feeling like, like oh, this is kind of like somewhat normalized again. Um, how, is, how, how has that looked? Is there like a general theme, like a thread that like is identifiable throughout in all of these kind of like hard times that you, when you see it like coming back? I mean, I think... You know, obviously, for for me going through these these times and and people in in New York going through it, it's. I think the one common thread, and, and maybe this is just me being way too sort of like positive, is that New York always bounces back, mm-hmm. and it may take this one may take a little bit longer than than some stuff in the past, but. I really honestly believe that we will, because I believe that there there's a reason that people come to this city and it's there. There's so much freedom here as far as expression, depending on what it is that you want to do. If you're an artist and when I say artist, I mean, musician, writer, painter, poet, actor, you know, filmmaker, you know, fashion person, everybody sort of wants to come here for that sort of feel of what this city has and what it has to offer. And I think we will bounce back. I just think it's going to be a, a, a it's going to be a real uphill battle. And 
unfortunately, I do think we're going to see, like, so they're just brought up, a lot of places close, and it is going to feel a little bit desolate for a while. But I think out of that, something can grow. Like we have to find the, the positive in that and, and, and rebuild, you know? Um, I sort of look at this time in our lives as, uh, obviously, I wasn't there, but a time during people in Europe or, or here during World War II and that rebuilding process of what these people must have felt, like in these, obviously, in places like Europe that were totally destroyed, uh, like, what was that like? You know, maybe I'm not equating what we're going through to the same as that, but maybe this is that sort of process for us is what is this landscape going to look like? And sure. Maybe, maybe there are lessons we can learn from those things, but I think, sure. the, I think the broader lesson that we can learn is that, you know, certainly a lot of civic pride when we say New York will bounce back, but we'll all bounce back. Time will pass. Things will change. Then things will come back again. I think your analogy maybe of, it's almost like a field, right? It's been, it's been a little bit decimated here. Maybe a fire has broken out or it was time to retill the soil, but something will grow in the next season, right? I totally agree. And I think, is there, listen, can we come back better? And when I say better, I, I, I mean that across the board in every way, you know, how do we, run these businesses better for for our staffs for our guests you know how do how do you change those things there's obviously as we know in our our business there's a lot of things that are you know not not perfect and and you know i think we've you know definitely learned some things in the last few years uh, regardless of what business it is you're in um that things need to change for men, women, and, and, you know, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get, I have no interest whatsoever in going back to normal as people keep saying, uh, normal wasn't, wasn't really that great. I'm looking kind of very, uh, hesitantly, maybe nervously forward to going to, to something new, uh, something that's, you know, been, uh, you know, amended, something that's been made, made better, tweaked, uh, you know, you know, let's, 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 no, no point in going back to something. We got to keep moving forward. We got to figure out yeah. what that is and how we can all get there together. You know, it's like in, in a way, and I know this is this is maybe silly to bring this up, but I remember when, and I'm sure you guys do too, depending on where you were uh, here when they were when there was the whole no smoking thing going on, and everybody was just like, "What's going to happen? How's this going to work? No one's going to come to bars anymore." Right. And, <laughs> and listen, I mean, I worked in places that where you could smoke and, and yeah, me too. You know, we all did. And it's just kind of like, I can remember, I, I even was one of those people. Cause I was like, holy shit, like this is really going to affect me. This is going to affect my money. Cause there's these, these, all these people come in here. They like to smoke at the bar, you know? And we got through it. Right. It, <laughs> you know, it was a weird sort of process, but like, People change. Yeah, People change. I through it. We, we got through it, and, and it's arguably better. Yeah, uh, you know, Absolutely. for sure. I couldn't even imagine working in a bar now that you could smoke it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, seriously. Yeah, you know, I remember when stupid little uh, the stupid and I little... was a smoker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me, me too. Yeah, me, me too, Kenneth. Yeah, we had those stupid little disposable uh, gold-colored tin ashtrays that we passed out to everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like, or, or it was like you know. I worked in one place where, you know, we were open to four. So maybe around like two thirty, if there was 
all regulars in the place, we'd put out like, you know, a plate on the bar so that people could smoke cigarettes, you know, but eventually that went away too. And it was just like, yeah, you got to go outside, man. You know, well, see, it's, it's funny as the, as the, uh, the token millennial on this show that like, I didn't experience this. And to me, when I was a smoker, you know, very early on when my smoking and drinking days kind of briefly intersected, that was the fun of it to me was like, okay, like I get a little break from this. I get to go outside. I can sort of reset, collect my thoughts, maybe have a more quiet conversation, then come in. I was like, this is, it's, it, I would be like, I can't believe that people used to not want to do this. This is so much better. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to get out of awkward conversation too. Um, yes. <laughs> it's kind of like that, uh, yeah. that whole thing back when like you weren't able to use your fart. cell phones in the subway. It was like, like you could use it as an excuse, like, Oh, sorry, I didn't get your text or your call. I was in the subway. Um, you know, I must yeah. have been in the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kenneth, what, uh, what action plans do you have in place for the reopening? Uh, as we, as we finally get, you know, as we get, as we approach phase three and being able to maybe reopen the bars, what, what, what things are you going to implement to make it safe for your, for your guests and for your team? You know, it, it's we've we've been talking about this. Uh, we have a weekly call every week, and uh, I I'm really perplexed by this one, guys. Because I think are you guys both doing takeout at, at the moment? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we haven't been doing. We can't. Okay. Let me explain something. At the Rum House, we we we're not doing anything because obviously it's Times Square, and and you know a lot of our business is built on on the theater because we're across the street from a. a three theaters actually and we get a lot of pre and post theater and and also we're at the bottom of a hotel so we can't even open if we wanted to right now because that the the hotel basically is not letting any of their properties open so we can't open up that and we don't even know when that's going to happen at this point that might be happening in september i i don't know downtown at ward three um, we haven't been doing takeout because we, as I said, like everybody in that neighborhood, uh, has gone away. And I don't know if you guys know this notoriously Tribeca in the summer is like, everybody goes away. Everybody. Yeah. Goes away. Now, granted, we, we, we would always keep our same hours and just, you know, stay true to our hours and, and do our thing. And, you know, it was slower and it, it you know, it is, it is what it is. So we're, you know, we've all, we were always prepared for that every summer, but, you know, we're going to start doing takeout, I think in the next like few weeks, just because we feel that it's, it's, listen, whoever's down there, maybe, you know, they, they, they need this and, 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 you know, hopefully they do also too. I think it's a great thing to just stay relevant in people's minds. Like, Oh God, this place hasn't closed, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and that's a good thing. Um, but as far as actually opening up, I'm, I'm, I really don't know guys. Like I'm, it's something that's just totally perplexing to me. Um, like how do you, how do you say like, okay, we're, we're allowed to open up, but only, only a certain amount of people can come into this bar. Mm-hmm. So what am I telling people? Like, Hey, you're standing too close to this guy. You're standing too close to this girl. I'm, I'm so it's so mind boggling to me. I, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Yeah. We've um, talked about it I think quite it's a bit. A lot of yeah. 
It's, we've talked about it a lot on the show recently over the past couple months, and you know it's it's going to look different for different people. When we were talking with uh, Craig Nelson down in Charleston, you know he, they the states like basically having them just like police their own stuff, and and also like if they want to open full capacity, they kind of can, if I remember correctly, right? Southern Greg. Yeah, wow. he basically yeah he, the government there basically said uh, the guidelines are fifty percent capacity or whatever you feel is safe. So he's he's adhering to the fifty percent capacity, but the bars next door are at full full capacity. Right and now, so, and now suddenly people are coming to his bar and trying to get in, and he's saying I'm full, and they're saying, but it looks spacious, and oh, he looks like he looks like the bad guy. It's really not good. Go- government needs to definitely make uh, make a stand and, and and say to people what they have to do. Um, but yeah, we've been talking to lots of people about different avenues of of, of reopening. Yeah, because, you know, like we we always have a person at the door uh, Thursday through through Saturday anyway. So it's like, okay, even if you have a a person at the door, so it's like you have that. And then there's got to be a manager or maybe even two managers walking around and and sort of policing the room, which, you know, I, I, obviously we've, we've never done this in the sense of like, you know, you have to space seats out. You'll have, we'll have to take tables out and put, you know, a certain amount of tables in. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be, I think it's just, it's going to be a lot of trial and error and it's going to be awkward. I think it's going to be a yeah. very awkward thing for a little while. And, and you know, listen, that's the way it was during, um, you know, 9-11 and even like Sandy. I remember going to bars down in, uh, by the seaport like right after it happened just to see what was going on and maybe see if anybody was open to give a little support. And I went into a place and I'll never forget this. They basically, the whole place was, was totally had been underwater and nothing was left, but they were trying to rebuild and open at the same time. And they had a cooler with a bunch of beers in it behind the bar. And that's what they were serving. And they had like candles Amazing. and it was totally bizarre. And we sat in there and we drank and I was like, wow, this is terrible, but this is what these folks have to do. And it's kind of like, we're not that bad in the sense, because obviously our properties haven't been destroyed, but it's just going to be an awkward thing and we're just going to have to learn from it. And well, I think, and uh, yeah, I think Kenneth, what's going to be the most challenging um, is that it's it's currently a moving target, and when it comes, it'll continue to be a moving target. Well, you can't set you, you, you can't set too many things in in place, and hope that they're in stone because within a week or two they'll change the capacity rules, or then they'll say we can have outdoor yep. seating, or then they'll say, you know. So again, it's a moving target now, and it's going to continue to be a moving target. So I think we're just going to be in a state of pretty much confusion for both the uh, uh, ownership operators as well as guests. They're not going to. You know, just like those guys in South Carolina who are one bar said I could come in in their capacity and one bar says I can't, right? Who everybody's confused by this. So I think we're just going to be in a, con- a state of confusion for a while. Yeah. I think uh, the- it's just going to yeah. be it's, it's going to be cooler heads that prevail. You know, it's just going to be like, OK, we're, we're sticking and moving with this. It's going to be a lot of reservations, so. you know, a lot, a lot of reservation only kind of situations. I yep. feel like, you know, when, a lot of times when people would come to my bar and we're very busy when I'm bartending. You know, if they're coming by themselves, I, you know, they're like, hey, I'm going to come hang out with you at your bar. I'm like, well, you're going to hang out. I'm going to work. Uh, br- right. <laughs> bring a book or a friend. 
better bring a good book yeah. or a good friend. So I think that's kind of like the situation. Unfortunately, for those people who were wanting to go to a bar solo, it's kind of like, man, I, I hate to do it, but it's almost like you got to have a rule where it's like two or more parties for two or more. You have a reservation. That's, like that one person doing. sitting there solo is going to try to talk to the next party or the bartender. And like, there's going to be like, there's going to be no like defined space for people. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it kind of needs to be yep. a defined kind of party situation. And that sucks too, but that's like really the only way you can keep people safe and distant from other parties and, and your staff too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing too. You have to think it's like, you're, you're also not just thinking about your guests coming in. You've got to think about your staff that's there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the business itself, you know, you want the thing to survive. So you've got to account for that as well. It's a, it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And, um, you know, just touching on this quickly, I know we talked about it a little bit before, but like, just even having conversations with our landlords about all of this stuff, it's just totally, you know, they don't, they're not getting it. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, Hey, so if we go to, if we've got a, you know, 30% capacity or 40%, it's like, you know, my business partner's like, you know, he's the big numbers guy. And he's like, Hey man, like no one's making any money here. You know, it's like, it's sustaining, you know, paying a few people and paying a few things, but it's like, you can't pay the rent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, I think also a challenge to have the consumer see, and, and again, we talked about this before on the show, you know, we don't want the consumer to see too much how the sausage is made. They don't want to know, frankly, we don't want them to know, um, but, but it's going to be, there's going to be a challenge in having the consumer understand that, you know, once we're open at that capacity, whatever that number is, 25, 30, 50, uh, they're going to think, "Oh, you're open, you're good," uh, and like, no, we're we're still not good. We're still remodeling yeah. that. We're still remodeling the house while it's on fire. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of challenges. What What are your What are your gut feelings on on how we're going to rise to that occasion? Um, you know, I've it it changes day by day because I've had I have these thoughts of like. You know, we're going to weather the storm. We're going to make it through this. Um, and then there's other days where like, holy shit, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what's going on and I don't know how we're going to do this. Um, it's, I think, and I, and, and this, I, I've thought about this. I think that unfortunately there's going to be a lot of places that don't make it. And that yep. kills me to say that. Yep. Um, I, because I think it's, it's, there's so many moving parts within, as you guys know, owning, owning a bar and running a bar. And there's, you know, if one of the things is if you're lucky enough, maybe your landlord is maybe helpful and, you know, or maybe you've had a lot of money piled up. So you're like, Hey, I, I can weather this storm. You know, I know, I've definitely been in positions where I haven't and, and, and I know that, you know, certain people can and certain people will, but there's going to be people that fall by the wayside and it's going to be horrible. And so really, it, it makes me sad to even talk about it right now. Um, but I think it's going to sort of be a little bit of like, you know, it's going to be a few people standing and if you can, 
weather it through the storm and keep moving forward and and try to stay relevant and 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 market yourself in the best possible way then hopefully you can so i don't know i know that kind of sounds a little shitty it doesn't make me feel good to say that but it's i i just think it's the way it's going to be you know? uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to try and speak for everyone here, but I, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm, I'm tremendously fearful for the the dive bars. You know, they survive on volume. If they're told that they can only have yeah. again some lower number of volume, uh, they survive on the room being packed shoulder to shoulder. If they're told that they have to have six feet of space between right. each person, they survive on people like me that just are walking by and say, "Let's pop in for a quick beer." Uh, and, end up, and end up staying for two or three, but if you're you're at capacity, you, I can't pop in. So you know, I'm I'm tremendously worried for them, uh, and where they're going to go, and where all those employees are going to go, and where you know the the the, the businesses that feed off of them are going to go. Like it's again, it's an ecosystem, and you know, I'm I'm fearful for the weakest among us, uh, which I think I think uh, as a business model, I think it's the dive bar that's the weakest player. Cocktail bars, we can say, okay, now it's reservation only. It's a seated event. It's experiential. Sure. It's experiential. Yeah. I'm going to charge you more than you used to pay for this. Like somehow we're right. going to get ahead. But like the dive bar and the local neighborhood bar, I think are going to really take a massive hit. And that's yeah. a huge part of our, our culture and our society. Yeah. And I think, you know, a little bit, that's, that's a whole other topic too. It's like, you know, are we going to start losing these, these places, these establishments whether it's a restaurant, a bar, a diner, uh, a you know, a, a dive bar, uh, a venue, you know, a music hall, where it's like, this is, these are characteristics of this city. These yeah, are l- lunch counters, lunch lunch right. counters, and sandwich sure. places. Like, how's Cats is going to survive this? You know what I mean? Like, inst- right. institutions. So how do we? You know, it's like, okay, does it affect it so much that? all of that's gone and then there's a few people left and is it a rebuilding process which hopefully it is or is it you know that all of a sudden new york is turning into something else that we never thought it would which is i don't you know chains everywhere which i hope to god not i mean we've seen enough of that in this city but i've thought about that too um like I said, I go back and forth on this, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all, all of us are, all of us are, Kenneth. All of us are. We're all stressing about it and thinking about it constantly and losing sleep over it and wringing our hands and, yeah. um, and 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 anxiously awaiting the moment that we can go into action and what that action is going to look like and how it's going to play out. Um, I'm also, you know, circling back to the, an earlier topic about protests and gathering. I'm also kind of fearful for the city. Because I participated in, in a protest uh, uh, two days ago. It's the only one I participated in because when I got there, I realized it's a massive crowd of people who are not staying six feet from one another. Very, very many of them are not wearing masks. So I stayed on the fringes of it all. Uh, I, st- I took a few snapshots and photos. Uh, um, but I realized I don't want to get in the middle of it because I'm fearful that this is going to cause a spike uh, and is going to push us further away from getting into phase one, phase two, phase three and reopening the city. Um, so that's a, that's another thing that now I'm wringing my hands about. I feel like every time I feel like I've got a grasp on it, it gets slippery again. It's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, well, Kenneth, I wanted to to sort of ask you something because you know, like like I said at the top of the show, you're a lifelong New Yorker, and you've 
effectively been in the bar industry for your entire life because you said your dad owned what four bars when you were when you were uh, growing up five places at, at, at different times you know? wow yeah. yeah so what so you've seen a lot of these institutions you know i mean i'm a relatively recent transplant to the city i know their institutions because people tell me their institutions you've watched them for decades so what is what is the the thing that they all have in common? What's the thing that you know has let these places hang on through the blackout and Sandy and two thousand eight and nine eleven? What's sort of the um, I don't know? Is there a common thread, or is it just kind of that you know their institutions? It's a cyclical thing. It's like they survive because they're institutions, and they're institutions because they've survived for so long. Um. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I look, you look at places, I mean, now it's funny to me when I look at a place like PJ Clark's that it's like, uh, you know, they're all over the place. Because uh, when I was a kid, my dad had a bar like two blocks from the original one. And he used to always take me into it all the time. Um, because they had, you know, you, they had like this burger thing set up in there where you could basically watch the guy making a hamburger and you could go sit at the bar. I think it's still that way. I'm not too sure. But that was before they got I rid of the kids two for one beer deal, but the burger deal is still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it's like places like that. It's like places like McSorley's. Um, you know, how are they still there? I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I look to places like that, and I say, you know, that's why. Like, I, I, I wanted to open up a bar because, like, you'd go into these places, and it would just be you know, all sorts of different people in there. And, and it's one of the attractions to me with New York City, especially with bars. It's like you walk into a bar in New York and, you know, there's a construction worker sitting next to a guy from Wall Street sitting next to a, you know, a model sitting next to some guy who's a, an artist or a filmmaker. And, you know, you don't know who the fuck you're sitting next to. It's, it's such a wonderful uh, sort of... Uh, example of of uh variety and you know that's why i always wanted to open up bars it's magic um i i i totally it's like watching a movie or some shit you know yeah and, um i it's it's cinematic and uh i don't know i don't know if i've ever been anywhere in the world that has that feeling of bars for me to be honest you know, yeah. like England has pubs, Ireland has pubs, and they're all great. And believe me, I love them. Uh, you know, Paris has cafes, and I, you know, they have some bars too, obviously. And there's bars everywhere, but I don't know. There's something cinematic about New York City bars that it's just such a wonderful thing when you walk in. It's like lights, camera, action. It's all happening, and you know, I think those places definitely had that. I mean. It's even the same. I look at a place like the Odeon. I mean, it's like shit. But, you know, that place has been there for forty years now. It'll probably be be there in another forty years. Totally. You know. Yeah. Um, but I think the the issue with the with this analogy of the cinema, the the, the cinema is a tapestry of of extras in the background, yeah. and the problem is, uh, sure, McSorley survived two thousand eight because people gathered there. Uh, you know, sure, uh, the Odeon survived, uh, uh, you know, Sandy because people gathered there. Well, right now, because of COVID, gathering is not a possibility. So yeah. how do we how do we take the one strength, uh, the one major strength, the one visible, obvious strength of our industry uh, that's that's made places survive? How do we take that out of the equation and still survive? 
I'm not asking for the answer. I don't think we have it no, right I, now. Yeah, uh, I think it's a. I think it's a. I think we're trying to solve a problem without all the variables. We don't know the answer yet. Yes, and it's tough. It's a hard pill to swallow because I'm in the same boat. I opened a place because I wanted to be close to people. I built it small on purpose. Uh, people cram yeah. in there, and I and I never stop them. You know, I want to be shoulder to shoulder. I want people to be excited to be in there. And now, yeah. I'm, and now I'm having to co- and now I'm having to come up with a business model that might be I only allow eight people in the door at a time. Yeah, I've I've had these conversations with my uh, my business partner where I'm like pulling my hair out, going, "What is there going to be a bartender standing there with a mask on? Like, yep. what are you telling me? Yeah. You know, because it's just it, it's sort of in my mind. I'm like, this goes against everything that I believe a bar should be." You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to say this, but like that's kind I of sure I know we too. we all have this kind of you know predictions and and we're just trying to figure it all out and what's going to happen. But personally, for me, like take take me out of the the owner operator side and on a consumer side, I don't want to go to a bar where people are wearing masks. I don't want to do anything. Well, honestly, exactly. where people are wearing masks. I mean, I go to the, I, I'll do it when I go to the grocery store and stuff like that. I'll probably continue to do that. Yeah, you know, just as you know, like a continued safety, you know, precautionary measure. Um, but I'm I'm not going to go to bars until the, at least the staff is not wearing masks. You know, and and yep. it's optional. I for me. I, I agree. I agree one hundred percent, Damon. And the and the, the 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 problem with that is that you and I and and whoever else on this show agrees with that aren't alone. A lot of our customers are going to do that too, and if we're already suffering by being told that we're at a limited capacity, and we've got people who don't want to come in anyway, yeah. and we've got consumer uh, consumers who aren't confident in safety precautions beyond that, like that number just gets smaller and smaller. Like but, I fear that I won't be able to. I fear that I won't even be able to get those eight people that I'm allowed to have at a time. Yeah, but they, it's also counterintuitive. They, you can't wear a mask when you're drinking. Uh, you know, so like, yeah, I, like that's just yeah. not. Yeah. I don't think consumers or customers are going to have to wear masks. Are, are they? I mean, right. I, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. You eat and drink with your mouth, and so like, yeah, I think that staff Ooh. members are probably going to continue to have to wear masks right for a little while, and then. But I don't even want to go to the bar if if I don't want to come see you. I don't want to come see what kind of mask you're wearing today. I want to see you smile. Right. You know exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's hard I'm, to be sarcastic. Right it's hard to be sarcastic when you're wearing a mask too. Like I need, I need some some sass. You know, like I can't tell if you're like <laughs> being right. just a, an asshole cues. or yeah. if you're <laughs> being sarcastic. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. I mean, I even feel that way walking down the street with my dog. I'm like, I can't. Does this person want to come up to my dog? I can't tell. I can't, I can't. I can barely see their eyes. They've got a baseball hat on. They've got a mask on. And you know, I, I can't read them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strip you know. it's stripping away at the at the parts of us that are social. Uh, uh, you know, I'm the same way right now. When I'm walking down the street to go either into the shop or when I'm walking down the street to go pick up some groceries for my house or whatever, you know, it's it's less easy to look someone in the eye and smile and say hello or even just of a quick course. head nod. Even just a quick head nod is simply not the same if they can't see my face. Yep. And I can't see theirs. Yep. You gotta smile with your eyes. Well, yeah, you got to smile real bright with your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's try and maybe loop around to a more positive note before we wrap it up, because uh, we're getting uh, to the end of our time here. Um, Kenneth, uh, what have you been doing to bring yourself some joy during all this, uh, uh, do, during both COVID and the and the Black Lives Matters uh, protests and 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 other things that are going on? What are you, what are you doing to to make yourself whole? 
Um, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of yoga at home, which I've never done before. And, um, I, it, that really makes me, it, it, it feels, feels good in the morning, um, just to get moving. But I've been spending a ton of time with my, my dog and my cat and my girlfriend, which is really, really, it's just been wonderful. She's going to be psyched. She's going to be psyched that she got third billing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, that has, I, I don't know. It's been, you know, I've never spent that much time with my, my, my dog or my cat. It's just so bizarre. You know, I've at home with them all day long, all the time. And, um, you know, we're, we're cooking a lot at home, which is really nice. I don't know if you guys do that a lot to begin with, but you know, my girlfriend and I are both, obviously we're in the same, we were in the same industry and, and we're never really home together and, you know, making a meal together and sitting down was, was, was something definitely that was not happening a lot. So it's, it, it's definitely, that's been really, really nice. Yeah. You know? I, I cannot come. Listen, I, I can't complain during this guys. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I, I have my health. I, I feel fortunate. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough. I'm, I, I'm okay. Um, you know, I, I cannot complain. I, I really can't. Um, I feel for everybody that's been affected by COVID and it, it, you know, people that work for me, people that work for you, just anyone. It's, 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 um, it's definitely been tough, but I, you know, I've tried my best to, to, to help people in, in any way that I can. And, um, I'm trying to think positive about even in this situation we're in right now, um, with what's going on in the world and in the country. Um, I'm, I'm really feeling hopeful that we can pull through this. You know, we have to love and respect one another and, try to learn more about one another. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's knowledge is power. Um, man, really appreciate your being on the show and being uh, as open and uh, as much candor as, you, as, as you've been displaying with us and just teaching us lessons about resilience, uh, especially in the city of New York. But surely this holds for, for everywhere. Everywhere is going to bounce back. It's just, you just have to be prepared for what that landscape looks like. Um, Kenneth, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you during this or during you know uh, uh, more more regular times, you got an Instagram you want to pimp or? Uh, uh, yes, um, my Instagram is uh, the real McCoy PHC, and I can be I could be reached there. Yeah, cool. You got one for the bars as well, or no? Yeah, the the Rum House. And Ward 3 is actually uh, Ward III, Roman numeral. Yep. Very cool. Uh, cool, man. Yeah. So the, the Real McCoy, PHC, the Rum House, and Ward 3 are all your Instagram accounts where people yep. can follow along with the things that you're getting yeah. done in New York City. Um, really appreciate you being here, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for being Guys, yeah. thank you so much. It was um, really wonderful. And I hope everybody is is, is taking care of themselves and and – and uh, we will um, get through this. And hopefully, if you guys need anything or I can help in any way, let me know. I, you know, I, I definitely will be going to your places as soon as I can. Likewise. You know? Sam, yeah, man. man. Yeah.
looking forward to those days. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, guys. All right, wonderful. Thank you. Well, I guess that's it for the speakeasy this week. Um, you know, I just want to say uh, to add on to, you know, today's conversation and show. Um, I just want to say a, a even bigger thank you to everyone who's been on the show over the past couple of months. We've been really hitting it hard with the show, uh, trying to cover as much as we can. Uh, there's, you know, always more to talk about, and especially right now. So I just wanted to give a, a great big shout out and thank you to everyone who's been on the show uh, during these difficult times. And and also to you guys. Thanks, Southern Greg. Thanks for being there every week, sometimes two, three times a week, and uh, keeping this... <laughs> keeping this party going uh i know it's it's you know it's hard times but we uh we have a duty you know we are reporting the news and so thanks for helping uh keep that going for for us for our own sanity (laughs) and certainly for our many listeners out there um yeah and i just want to say to everyone also uh please support each other and be safe through these times and we got to get there together and you know, there's together we can. And that's, that's all I got to say about that for this week. But until next time, check out heritage radio network.org for many more programs like this one until next week, Kenneth, Southern Greg, cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you so Cheers, much. Gents. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in that rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.